0: Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Welcome to Park Hill Church. Uh, if you're new or visiting, my name is Evan Wickham. My wife Sandy and I have the jo- honor of leading this church. It's a true honor. So we're about to read the text. It's going to be Psalm ninety. So open your Bibles there. I, I am excited about this message today. Um, today we readjust, we refresh our trajectory as a church. We're talking about what we value today. And I really think God's gonna meet specific people today in a special way and invite you to adjust your trajectory as well. So, but first, just a four or five minute intro before we read the text and pray. Let's remember where we are. We just finished a series all about the scriptures, right? How they're trustworthy. And how they carry Jesus' authority, and His authority is good. It's the best stuff we can imagine, better than we can imagine. And last week, Aliyah Persley gave an amazing teaching on how to wait well for God. And uh, and next week, my my wife and I weren't here last week. I got to hear the podcast of Aaliyah. It was great. My wife and I were on our 23rd anniversary getaway, which was fun. So, thanks for letting us take a week off, church. It was great. Um, so, uh, we, we hiked Santa Cruz Island peer to peer in the Channel Islands. I don't know if you've ever seen or done that. Really fun stuff. Uh, we backpacked intense anniversary stuff, you know? So, uh, <clears throat> and, and next week, we have one of our other elders, uh, Erica Miato, is going to preach. And then after that, Advent begins. You guys were two Sundays from Advent. And Advent is sacred time. Most of us know about Advent now, according to the Christian calendar. If you know what the Christian calendar is, it's the way of viewing time that the majority of Christians observe around the world, the Christian calendar. In the calendar, Advent is the four weeks that lead up to Christmas, and Christmas is that great feast, right, that honors the incarnation, the birth of God among us, Jesus Christ. So most of us know Advent, but my guess is Less of us know about the rest of the Christian calendar. And I just want to say personally, one of the most eye-opening, soul-stirring moments of growth in my Christian journey was discovering more and more what it means to live into and out of the whole Christian year, centering my life not just around the rhythms of secular culture or the rhythms of my personal iPhone iCal uh, and my meetings and stuff I don't want to be late to. But instead, my primary orientation is around the rhythms of the global church family calendar. And I believe doing this has the power to help you regulate your anxiety and tune your heart into God's vision for your life and help you number your days, which is what Psalm 90 is all about. Number your days in order to gain the wisdom of God, the psalm says. So the Christian calendar, simply put, it's an annual schedule of living out the story of Jesus. How he saved us. Year after year, reliving the story with our time. So Anglican, Methodist, Lutheran, Catholic, I don't know what your church background is, Presbyterian, even Baptists, and some, a lot of non-denominational churches now are getting on board with the calendar. Christmas and Easter, at least the Baptists do that one. But all the other high churches, they, they all do even more of the dates. Advent and Lent is more and more something that non-denominations are observing. And you guys, it's all about a person. It's not about just just doing a religion. It's about a person we're walking in step with. And the story of his life becomes our story as the body of Christ, year after year. So here's just a graphic that shows the Christian year. We're, so the beginning of the year is the beginning of Advent. The Christian year starts before the new year. It's at Advent. And then you get to Christmas, which is 12 days, and then Epiphany after that. And Lent is a time of fasting and praying with Jesus. And then Holy Week, Easter. And then you have the over half of the year is what the church calls ordinary time, where we just realize every part of our life is holy when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and living out the fruit of the Spirit, whether it's preaching a sermon or changing a diaper, ordinary, liturgy of the ordinary glorifies Jesus. So um, part of the blessing of this is that the, the, the Christian calendar, it has scripture readings for every week. Hundreds of thousands of churches are preaching the same scriptures today, November 19, 2023. Hundreds of thousands of communities all over the world. And those texts include Psalm 90 and 1 Thessalonians 5, which is the two texts we're gonna look at today, in step with Christ's body. So uh, pastors and priests all over the world are preaching what I'm about to preach from, these, these biblical texts. So let's prayerfully walk through Psalm 90, we're gonna read it, and uh, if, if you're able, I'm, I'm gonna invite you once again, if you're able and willing, if you're not, no worries, to stand, uh, feel free to stand for the reading of God's word. And as we read, I want us to do two things. So number one, I read odds, you read evens. And number two, as we read, just notice all the references to time. Generations, years, days, nights, Time. Notice the time references in this chapter. Okay, here we go. I'll be odd, you're even. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's take a moment to pray together. Heavenly Father, you're so good that you would speak like this, that you would reveal yourself through the scriptures like this. And ultimately, through your son, Jesus Christ, we'd see the face of God, the face of love. Now, Holy Spirit, would you come and breathe on our hearts to see Jesus more clearly and, and quicken us, enliven us supernaturally by your indwelling power so that we can be like Jesus, as not just individuals, but be a Jesus-shaped community. For the sake of the world until the whole world hears in jesus name amen did you notice all the references to time in that psalm okay generation to generation to everlasting to god a thousand years is like a day like a night watch there's even dew in the morning that dries up in the evening our days pass our years finish days become years they even get a number 70 or 80 if you're lucky he says right And all this rhythmic, time-bound language, it builds into this beautiful line, teach us to number our days. Do you have slide four, I think? Yeah, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The whole flow of this psalm and so many other places in scripture, the way to gain wisdom, the way to grow, and mature as a child of God is to learn to count the time that you have, to number your days. And when you do this, you get more aware that, oh my goodness, my time is not mine. I call it my time, but my time belongs to God. And when you awaken to that, it matures you. But what does this mean practically, numbering your days? How do you do that? First of all, for the psalmist, it means remembering that your life is fleeting like you're gonna die very practically (laughs) there's nothing more practical than that remember that your life is fleeting here's how psalm 90 says this verse three through six you turn people back to dust god saying return to dust you mortals even our death is commanded by god in a sense verse four a thousand years in your sight are like a day that's just gone by or like a watch in the night Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. How many of you know that your life is fleeting? Like in the scope of the universe, billions of light years, time and space, you're 70 or 80 years on the planet fleeting. Like you, you you can feel this if you think about it for a second. Yeah. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, first of all, welcome. I'm glad you're here and and you're in the kind of the orbit of Jesus and his church right now. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Love to meet you. But if you're not a Christian and you don't have a a Christian worldview, you probably still agree. You probably are like, yeah, my life is fleeting compared to 14 point whatever billion years of time. uh, My 80 years aren't even going to be a blip. Why, why is that an important thing to hear at church? That's not even a Christian thought. Everyone thinks that, you might say. Uh, well, that thought by itself is not just a Christian thought, that we're all going to die. Everyone agrees. You need verse 2. You need verse 2. And here's how the psalmist sets it up. Before the mountains were born, or you, God, brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's the foundation because there's a good, eternal creator behind the universe. And this creator came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived and died for our sins and rose from the dead and now rules over the mountains. And he rules over the world and the nations. And not only that fact is true, but I trust this Jesus. I trust him with my life for for his forgiveness of my sin and my belonging in his family. I trust him for that. And because of that, death now comforts me. My death now motivates me. Comfort and motivates. So I don't, know if, I don't know if you resonate with this, but this is the Christian worldview. In the fleetingness of my 80 years, that my death becomes comfort in my pain. The idea that my 80 years are gonna blip like a vapor, I'm comforted in my pain because I know I'll be healed and raised with Jesus forever. And it brings motivation to make each day count for the kingdom because I can invest my temporary life for eternal reward that I will one day inherit when my body is raised from the dead forever. Can we let that sink in? Our death in Christ now, our, the idea of our impending death comforts and motivates you in the present right now. So teach me to count my days means I get to invest my fleeting life in eternity with God and his beautiful family. And that's the big difference between a child of God worldview and the secular worldview on life and death. So in the child of God worldview, the rhythms of time and death comfort and motivate us Because the child of God worldview centers all of space and time around the lordship of Jesus. But in the secular worldview, time and death tend to do the opposite. They induce anxiety and demotivate us. Because the secular worldview centers all of space and time around the self. And that's a far greater weight than the self was ever designed to carry. Your finite self was not designed to contain the immeasurable universe that we still think is bigger than we can measure. And there you have it. So example from one of my daughter's favorite pop artists. Uh, my daughter loves Megan Trainer. Okay, she's, she's 10. She's going to be 11 in a month or two. Meghan Trainor, so, so good. Songwriter, vocalist, unreal. She just wrote and recorded this song called Chicken Little. So this song, Chicken Little, about how the world's gonna end and everyone dies. Okay, here's the chorus. Meghan Trainor, Chicken Little. Don't take life too serious because we all die. You won't make it out alive even if you tried. So live a little, Chicken Little. Roll up, smoke up, chill a little. Don't take life too serious because we all die. Now listen, my daughter hasn't heard that song yet, and I don't know that she will, you know, she's not gonna be rolling up in fifth grade or whatever. just to ease your mind on what my daughter is consuming. If you, if you were concerned, no need. But, uh, but this logic is fascinating. Look at, look at Megan Trainor's logic. Um, she agrees with Psalm 90. She agrees with Psalm 90 that life is fleeting and we're going to die. But her conclusion, since you're going to die, you should chill more, um, that's her conclusion. And listen, nothing, I, nothing against chilling out and being less anxious in healthy ways. I'm a big fan. But it seems to me the time-tested wisdom of scripture spells things out a little, little better. So for us as kids, a lot better, this is it. For us as kids, the passing of time and <laughs> the fact you're gonna die is a beautiful invitation, not just to check out and chill out, but to receive authentic peace and comfort because all the pain really will be worth it. Therefore, be motivated to do good because there are eternal rewards for all God's kids when we live like God with our short lives. That phrase, eternal rewards, what in the world is that? God will give eternal rewards for those who live for his kingdom what exactly will those rewards be and the answer is we don't know for sure the Bible isn't totally specific on the details of the heavenly treasures but we do get glimpses first Corinthians 15 talks about the reward being the very tactile embodied body you you, you will rise from the dead you will come up from the dirt Christ returns, your body comes out of the ground in the new heavens and new earth. Reward. And something about this eternal reward also involves intimacy with each other. And intimacy, most importantly, with God himself, our greatest reward. So so why do we number our days and grow in maturity as Christians? Because it's somehow to increase our eternal capacity to enjoy God and one another when we physically rise from the dead. You guys, there is a myth flying around in much of the church and has for much of uh, our century. And it is this idea that our future involves going to heaven when we die in a disembodied, ethereal, nondescript bliss. And that is not the picture of the New Testament. We will receive an earthly, flesh and blood resurrected, spiritual, somehow, reality of your body coming out of the ground on the last day. Resurrection of the dead is your future. And there is eternal reward built into that day that you can now invest in today. Somehow, we don't get a whole lot of details beyond that, other than the promise. Other than the promise. We physically rise from the dead with these bodies remade in Jesus' presence in what both Old and New Testaments call the new heaven and new earth. You guys, God's kids will rise from the dead all at once together. And what we do with your, what you do with your days today somehow matters for that eternal day. Um, So teach us, Lord Jesus, teach us. To number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Paul makes the same point in the second text we're looking at today, 1 Thessalonians 5. Here's the other Bible text we're looking at with the rest of uh, the church that's following the calendar. So, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, Peace and safety destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So Paul's saying, hey, church, you don't need to worry about the times and dates of when you're gonna die or when Jesus is coming back or anything like that. Why don't you have to worry? Because for God's children, time is on our side. Jesus will come back when Jesus comes back. The Father in heaven knows the day and the hour. Meanwhile, your news feeds and nations cry out for peace as the world feels like it's going to hell in a handbasket. But we have the child of God worldview. We know what the child of God worldview is. And children of God number our days differently. We think of time differently. Listen to what Paul says next in verse four. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Look at that distinction. There are children of light who belong to the day, and there are those who belong to the night and the dark. Now, there's a lot we could say about that, but I just want to point out one thing. Paul could not be more clear that there is a dramatic difference in worldview here. Am I right? (laughs) Children of the day and those who belong to the night. Paul is not afraid of that binary, neither should we be. So what's the key difference between children of the day and children of the night? Paul gives the difference in the next verses. He says it like this, so then let us not be like the others who are asleep. Who are the others who are asleep? That's the we all die, so just roll up and chill vibes. That's the others who are asleep. Where that is where this whole thing is headed, so just check out. Instead, let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. This is the belong to the night worldview. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Okay, pause after verse 8. How does a person get to belong to the day? How do we transition from night dwellers to day dwellers? What does that mean? Here's how. Verse 9 through 11. Children of the day believe, verses 9 through 11, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, meaning whether we're living or dead, when Jesus comes back, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up, just as in fact you're doing. So Park Hill, here I am, encouraging, building you up (laughs) with these words. If you trust in the person of Jesus, to the point where you're like, I'm not my authority anymore, but you submit to Jesus as the authority of your life, your mind, your body, your soul, your sex, your money, your power, you trust Jesus with all of it, then you are a child of the day. And this is how you get to see reality clearly. And and when you see reality clearly as a child of the day, you realize, oh, the passing of time and the incoming death that I will ultimately pass through, it doesn't increase my anxiety. It decreases my anxiety while making me more effective in the world. And when you're there, you know that blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, which then makes you more comforting to those who mourn in the family of God. Right? As a child of the day, the reality of your death doesn't demotivate you, it motivates you to invest your bodily life for the kingdom, because you know after the number of your days is up, your body rises from the dead into full intimacy with God and the global church for eternal reward. So number your days, church family. And by the way, you know what else this means? Very practically, (laughs) for children of the day, it means we're free from FOMO. Like we just, like we're free. There's There's no such thing as fear of missing out. It doesn't have a right to us. That social anxiety, you know, FOMO, that some exciting thing might be happening somewhere else, often sparked by doom scrolling on social media. You're like, something important is going on and I'm not there. The reality for the children of light is that there is no such thing as FOMO. Uh, of course, we can still feel FOMO. We still feel, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not where I should be. I'm not who I should be. When we're looking at things through a secular worldview, which is everywhere, so it's understandable if we don't believe in the day from time to time, but we get to live in the day. As a child of the day, you get to live in reality, where the fear of missing out doesn't have a right to your mind anymore. How can we be sure of this? In two weeks, we'll remind ourselves with Advent you guys. Advent. What's Advent? It's celebrating the ordinary, obscure life of a backwater Jewish carpenter named Jesus of Nazareth. And in that obscure, boring carpenter life, God was quietly saving the universe. So if you follow and believe in Jesus of Nazareth, then you don't believe that fear of missing out has a right to your mind. Instead, what do you believe? You believe a really long story that includes your physical resurrection in a new heaven and new earth where you'll be rewarded for your kingdom living today in the ordinary time, where FOMO has no right to your mind and you're motivated to live patiently and lovingly toward that final day. But let's face it. It is hard to believe in Jesus, isn't it? It's hard to believe in Jesus. So, you know what? We pray, Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days. It's hard to believe in Jesus. It's hard to believe the kingdom is breaking in. It's hard to believe that we are beloved children of God. Teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom, free from anxiety and comparison and envy. Help us number our days. And church, I can't think of a better, more practical way to number our days than to step into the daily rhythms of the Christian calendar, beginning in two weeks with the story of Advent. Because by centering our minds and our lives on the Christian calendar and Advent, we as a church are committing to intentionally step into God's rhythms of love. Rhythms. I like that word rhythm. It's just another way of saying practice, the rhythms of Jesus, practices of Jesus. But I like saying rhythm sometimes because what is rhythm? Basically, if if, if you're a music major, you know, rhythm, you've thought about this in class like in an academic way, Uh, then rhythm is the arrangement of sounds moving through time, right? Like rhythm is the basic organization beneath all music. Without rhythm, there's no music. It's just what? Noise. Music is just one step away from just random noise and that step is rhythm. You could say, from the human perspective, that rhythm is what gives time meaning. In fact, in, in music theory, what's the rhythm of a song technically called? Any music majors? The time signature. It's the time signature. Like, so it's amazing. Rhythm takes this abstract, floaty idea of time and gives it a signature. And human emotion, and meaning, and even healing. Music can heal where a noise could not. So, rhythm is the arrangement of sounds moving through time, and this is precisely what Advent is, and Easter, and the rest of the Christian year. It's a way of arranging ourselves as we move through time, and I would argue it's the best way. It's the best way to view time. Why? Are we just, like, making this up? Is this, like, a new thing, a new religious? No, like, this is what Israel would always do in the Old Testament, When there was a revival, they'd always go back to the calendar. Nehemiah 8, the scriptures are opened. You know the story of Nehemiah. They find the Bible. They're like, oh, we discovered the Bible again. We discovered God's words again. And they open, and the people just repent. Everybody's weeping and confessing sin. And what's their first response? They put feasts on the iCal. They order literally a bunch of feasts, and, and they go by the calendar that their fathers used. The rescuing God who rescued their fathers and mothers from Egyptian slavery. Let's, let's, let's party like them. Let's remember them and who they were and what they said, and let's do the same things. Another example, 2 Kings 23, King Josiah, he opens up the Bible, and people are like, we're returning to the Lord. And the people repent. They burn their idols. And what do they do in response? They put holidays on the calendar. Their repentance actually reshapes their routine, and they observe yearly feasts again. The feasts that they humbly receive from their spiritual parents, fathers and mothers. This is the opposite of chronological snobbery, where they think progressively that they're the generation that can reshape everything and tear down all the old religion or whatever, but they humbly submit to the family story as an act of repentance. And maybe you're here thinking what I'm saying. You're thinking it through. You're like, but weren't those like Jewish feasts of Israel, isn't that old covenant? That's not like the Christian calendar. Totally, yeah, but two important things. Number one, we're not Jewish. This is not a synagogue. Um, we're the multi-ethnic body of Christ. But there's a bigger reason why we don't celebrate the Old Covenant feasts in that way. And here's the, here's the bigger reason. It's because the story of God got a massive update, and it's called Jesus. So here's, here's where we're at. In Jesus, the feasts of Israel have found their fulfillment. And ever since Jesus, the church has been telling and retelling the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through the rhythms of the Christian calendar. In other words, for almost 2,000 years, the church has been saying that Jesus is so completely the Lord of all that under him, there's even a new way of telling time. And it's the best way. I would argue the most meaningful way of telling time. Here's here's what I mean. Um, Weird question, but track with me. What does time mean? Or what what makes our time important and meaningful? We say time is money or whatever, and then we use the minimum wage thing to, des- to decide how much our hours are worth or whatever. We could do that in modern America or wherever you're from. But what does time mean? It's a question we don't have time to think of very often. Because what is time, basically? It's just the measurement of dirt moving through space. That's what time is. What we call a day is basically a big dirt clod called Earth just Turning around one time. And what we call a month is a smaller piece of dirt called the moon doing a circle around the bigger dirt. And what we call a year, no, seriously, track with me. These, this is essentially what time is. What we call a year, what's your year? Happy anniversaries, 23 years. Happy birthday. My son turns 19 today on November 19th, which is amazing. So uh, happy birthday, Jaden. It happens once a year. And we also have sad anniversaries. Sad, we remember something terrible. Grief and loss, we have an anniversary for that in a year. But what is a year? It's basically the, the big earth dirt moving once around the sun. That's where it came from. Day, month, year. These measurements are meaningless. Just dirt in motion until we have a story. Am I right? Without a story, time is pointless. And guess what? Now, for almost 2,000 of those years, the church has wisely, creatively marked time, literally marked it with B.C. and A.D., by the greatest story you can imagine, the gospel story of God among us, maker of space-time, entered space-time as a man. who was born and lived 33 of those years and rose to rescue anyone who repents of their sin and trusts his authority. So this is sacred time. This is the church calendar year, and the church's relationship with time begins with Advent in two weeks. We anticipate the coming of Messiah. So simply put, calendar makes culture, and how we tell time determines who we are. We get identity from time. This is a powerful way to number our days as a spirit-led community in San Diego and remind ourselves who we are. What do you mean we get our identity from time? Well, think about it. Who are you? You are a human who is excited about fireworks on the fourth day of the seventh month. What kind of human are you? An American. That's the 4th of July, right? That is your identity from time and how you just oriented yourself. Chinese calendar, told the Chinese story for thousands of years. Roman calendar, told the Roman story. Jewish calendar still tells the Jewish story. Christian calendar, the Christian story. The Islamic calendar tells the Islamic story. And, and the secular calendar, it says there is no story. Only politics and consumerism and whatever story you want to make up for yourself. So Park Hill Church, we want to do everything we can to step into Advent worshipfully as a family and then Christmas and then the rest of the year all year long till we start again next year looking for Messiah December 2024. By the way guys it's been six years this Christmas Eve as a church in our city and we're going to celebrate because we we believe that the story of Jesus is the one true story that redeems the world and we believe this so deeply that it's how we tell time. So we're Western, mostly American Christians in the 21st century, so we have two calendars, don't we? Again, you have your iPhone thing, tells you, you know, your financial calendar, school, or whatever else, so you're not late, and then we have the Christian one. And here's a slide for you. We need both, the appointments and the Christian calendar, but only one can truly remind us who we are and who we belong to. We're not primarily money-making creatures or vacationing creatures or working or educating or whatever else creatures. We primarily are citizens of heaven under the government of God in submission to Jesus, and Jesus, not our culture, is Lord of time. So the empires of the world, they're going to do what they do. The political power players will move their pawns across the planet. Bitcoin sales go up, go down. Celebrities and culture makers and talk show hosts say whatever, they do whatever they do, but God's doing something, too. And as we, his people, fix our eyes on him and orient our time around him, whether we're top of the class or living in obscurity like Jesus did, the Lord of time and space is on the move through his church. In remote villages, in urban centers, in every nation and language in the world, Jesus has his quiet, confident, non-anxious church family that are looking to him, not their culture, for who says they matter and who says their time belongs to. And so I'll speak personally now, why Evan Wickham, why Evan and Sandy... Why do we talk about this? Why is this so important, the church calendar? Personally, here's why. I want my life and the lives of my family to be formed by the gospel story of Jesus. So uh, to reduce the Christian calendar to just one day for Christmas, a day we don't even really, like, gather, you know? It's very common for churches even, which is fine. It's very common for churches to cancel Sunday gatherings when Christmas lands on a Sunday, which is fine to each to each their own culture, but to reduce the Christian calendar to just one day for Christmas and one day for Easter, I believe it's to almost totally cave into secularism. The fact that much of the American church is formed by the 4th of July, more than Advent, is evidence of our being influenced by the secular. And so my heart is for my family to feel this difference. To feel the rhythm of God's kingdom and how I think of time. So, rhythms. Let's talk rhythms. Uh, Christmas Eve, six-year celebration, 2024. It's going to be fun. Uh, I think the slide. There you go. Yeah, that's good. So, so this is the rhythms for as we move forward. We're going to continue looking at the calendar. You guys, Park Hill kids have been doing this for over a year now. Just looking at the different feast days and remembering saints and actually, like, thanking Jesus for faithful people who have gone before us and praying prayers with the church. The kids of our church have been doing this, which is amazing. I want to do it more. And then pray as you go. How many of you have heard of that podcast, pray as you go? It's so beautiful. You just pray and step with hundreds of thousands of churches, the prayer of the day and a scripture reading. And you just think, like, oh, my gosh, God is so forming present to me right now. So if you want to subscribe to a new podcast, just so that you're tuned in a little bit more to the calendar, Pray As You Go is powerful. It's been powerful for me and Sandy and Aaliyah and others on staff. And then number two, communities. We want to continue to be a church of community. This is our rhythm. If you guys didn't know, our community rhythms are three modules of 10 weeks per year. So we do 30 weeks a year, uh, 10 times three, broken up with free time in between. And here's the plug, we need leaders. <laughs> we have a lot of people in the waiting list to join community groups and step into our rhythms of discipleship as a church. And I, I would love for you to number, number your days and to say, hey, I can't afford leading a community with my current time. And then, after you found that out, give that to God in your community and say, what would I have to move in order to number my days differently to make room to lead for one year. What would that look like? Really pray, pray through that. We need leaders, godly mature and maturing leaders to lead community groups. So, and then number three, bread. We're going to keep reading bread, another year of bread. I'm not sure what the reading plan will be, but it will be a plan. And uh, you'll be able to access it, and we'll follow along together starting in January 1. And David Wade, he told us All Saints, his church plant is going to be reading right along with Park Hill. So he wants sister churches in the city to be reading and hearing the same words from God at the same time. And I think that's pretty beautiful. And then finally, prayer itself. We're going to continue praying in gatherings after the message during worship Open up space for more and more people to receive prayer, and more and more people up here to receive people who want prayer. And Seek First Sunday will continue, that's the first Sunday of every month. So important, you guys, it's been so beautiful to watch a huge core of our church uh, chasing after the presence of God with passion. And praying in communities, they should always, community group meetings should always uh, involve prayer. And finally, you. So. Bring this full circle. You can take that off the screen. To bring this teaching right around to you, I I would love to ask, how is God calling you personally to number your days? You've been hearing this for 45 minutes, number your days. How has it been resonating with your soul? What is bubbling to the surface of like, wow, I'm excited about this. Notice the feeling that you have and ask the Holy Spirit, why am I excited? What do you want to do with this energy inside of me, God? Breathe on my excitement. Or maybe your nervous energy, you're like, man, I don't know if my time is being well uh, invested in the kingdom for X, Y, Z reasons. Bring Same thing, equally, no shame on either one. Bring those to the Spirit of God right now. Say, Lord, what is it you want to adjust? Maybe it is the community leader thing. Maybe it's another aspect of serving. Or maybe it's some way your time is actually being misspent or invested in something that won't last. Evaluate that right now. So some, here's the ending. Some might consider this message a downer, like you're going to die, right? Um, your life is fleeting. I get that. But, but here, here's, this message is not a downer. It is a prod to live with urgency. Time might be the most valuable commodity we have, and because our time supply is limited, its value goes up as we realize what it is. So, so, so this is why Jesus, Jesus himself, in multiple parables, gospel accounts, he talks about time as this investment that has return. And I want, I want us to feel that. No one's ever just spending time. Like, how'd you spend your time? No one's ever spending time. Everyone is investing time. When you give your time to something or someone, you're literally giving your life away one moment at a time. Which means the question for all of us today is when you honestly look at the receipts, what are you giving your life to? Or who are you giving your life to? You know who is credited for writing the psalm Psalm 90 that we just read today. It's this guy named Moses. If you know much about the Bible, you probably have heard of Moses. Moses wrote this prayer about numbering our days and contemplating our death and all of that. How do we know this? The Psalm actually gives a title. If you notice, if you have Psalm 90 open in your hand, look at the title. In the italics, that's actually in the original language. It says, a prayer of Moses, a man of God. That's what it says. That's in the original text. That's actually part of verse one. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Can you imagine a better compliment, a better compliment than that? <laughs> like someone copies down your prayer and like, I want to pray what you just prayed, and they're like, and the title, this is the prayer of Jeff. The man of God. This is the prayer of Laura, a woman of God in my life. Can you imagine? This is what's happening here. In other words, Moses used his time well. He prayed and lived this prayer. Lord, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses understood time's value. He also understood that you'll live unwisely if you don't understand time's value. So Moses was a man of prayer. It says, a prayer of Moses, and he was a man of God. Why? His prayer is all about valuing time and understanding that he has to invest it in God's kingdom whenever he could, because he realizes the reality of what it means to be a child of the day. And and because of all that, (laughs) there's a statement about Moses in the Old Testament that is one of the greatest compliments in the whole Bible, in my opinion, So the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's called the Pentateuch. And that was the first real law. That's the law of Israel. And do you know what the last lines, the very closing lines of the Pentateuch are? Here's the last lines. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. If those, if those same words were used to describe you, how would that make you feel? I just don't know anyone like Lisa. Lisa clearly like, walks with Jesus face to face. Oh, that guy that we just talked to, that guy over there, he's incredible. The Father knows him face to face. My goodness, I don't know about you, but to me there's something built into that compliment that keeps pride away. If someone said that about me, it would radically humble me. Like, oh my goodness, I'm perceived as walking that closely with Jesus. Have mercy on me, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Let my heart not sin against you while we're walking this close, Father. I don't want to grieve your heart. Teach me to number my days so that I mature and gain a heart of wisdom. Lord Jesus, teach me to stay near to you. And this is the kind of prayer Moses prayed. This is the kind of prayer prayed by someone who God knows face to face. Is this the kind of intimacy you desire? Isn't that the kind of intimacy you want with God? If you were going to start praying and living the prayer, Lord, teach me to number my days, what would change about your life if you started living that prayer? That's the question that we end with. We're going to come to the tables with. What area of your life have you yet to bring under the full authority of Jesus? To become someone, yes, your beloved child of God. Yes, your beloved daughter and son of God, 100% bought by the blood of Jesus. Or if you're yet to follow Jesus, you can become a Christian. You become a child of the day. But what, what, what would it look like? How would your schedule change? What would, what would need to continue orienting around Jesus to become someone that can be said of, oh, that person, God knows them face to face. Like I'm with them and I've seen someone that God is in dialogue with. The passion for the presence of God is infectious around them. Where do you desire a deeper intimacy with Jesus? Where do you? That's the that, that's it. And, and what would it look like to pray? Teach us to number our days so we can gain that kind of wisdom. Holy Spirit, would you come? Show us. Show us within us. What can we learn from you? Teach us. Count the days. Make them count. Ultimately, to know and be known by God, the great reward, that's the eternal reward. To know and be known by God. Make us like Moses. Make us people that God knows face to face. You already know our hearts. We wanna know conversation and intimacy like never before. So as you're seated, feel free just to stay seated. I'm not gonna invite everyone to stand or anything, but just feel free just to consider that, consider praying that prayer with your life. Teach me to number my days, to gain a heart of wisdom for the eternal reward of being known by God face to face. Invite the Holy Spirit to show you what shift might need to take place to better number our days in the kingdom of God. Thank you for this life, God. Thank you for the life you lived and the death you died, the resurrection you accomplished. Let's sing this song. Let's just be here in this place. Celebrate the love of God. And then I'll open the tables later, but just, just worship. Praise you, God.